Well, Grapido, my product is actually um, a, the tool is a byproduct of my overall experience uh, throughout my life. And I, yeah. the biggest portion of it is martial arts, not just Sambo, Judo, Sambo, yeah. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and wrestling. But I absolutely love Sambo. It is fun. Um, compared to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Judo, there's so many things you can do. It's for me, it's I absolutely love it. What got you into it? What was it? Was it just the circumstance or, or well, so funds? I was a judo coach. Well, my journey with Sam was started when I was really young. I uh, I grew up in Turkey. I was uh, born in the U.S. Um, we but we moved to Turkey for good when I was uh, seven years old, and we stayed around until um, I was eighteen. Um, and for college, I came back. But from seven to eighteen, while I was in Turkey, I um, did judo, <clears throat> and Turkey, you know, the national sport is wrestling. They have, you know, they're really good at grappling. Uh, but I, we lived in a small town called Antalya. And um, I, I don't know if you've ever been there. It's a beautiful beach uh, city that has blown up the last 10 years. But, I haven't, man. I'm... Yeah, there's there's a lot of Eastern Europeans and Russians. Uh, they love going there. And it's a great place for athletes to have uh, coaches that have their camps there for athletes. Um, for me, it was really... I absolutely love learning judo there because I was exposed to uh, other uh, Eastern European grappling methods such as sambo. Uh, it was like early 90s. We had one gentleman uh, named Dennis, uh, short, super stocky guy and um, really, really strong. And it was strange. He would actually uh, brag that he doesn't lift any weights. Um, but I saw I saw how he trains and he does the like, calisthenics and what he does. It's just phenomenal. But that was like when I first heard about Sambo and my judo coach was trying to explain to me what it was and how it is. And he started teaching me some Sambo techniques that I could use. And that was those were the techniques that were unorthodox for judo players. But uh, he showed me the legal ones. That's where it started. But years later, when I was coaching, um, uh, I had a student that would go compete at Sambo tournaments and he, he kept winning. He was uh, like seven, eight times national champion. And... Um, uh, and then he did the, uh, I think he went to the Worlds, and I think he placed at, uh, third at one, and I think uh, the Pan Ams he won. He was really successful. I think he might have like over 15 national titles. But, wow. you know, it just, I knew he was, go I, I helped him prepare for it, but then one day I was like, you know what, Look, I, I want to go compete. And and they changed the rules of judo um, and, and sambo a basically was the old school judo that I was used to. So I was like, I just want to go and do it. And it was a nationals and I I didn't even really do a good job learning the rules and uh, I made some mistakes early matches, but luckily I caught up. I caught up. It's it's not that different from judo, so it's fairly easy to pick up. Samo's not different from judo? Well, my coach... Because doesn't, doesn't it doesn't involve striking? Well, there's so there's combat sambo and there's a uh, regular sambo. Regular sambo okay. uh, is similar to judo. Uh, they wear a jacket. They just wear shorts. Um, judo, they changed the rules uh, a while back, uh, and you're no lo longer allowed to go for legs. So it, it kind of became like Greco-Roman wrestling. You're just attacking the upper, upper body. So when I grew up, I learned old school judo where you could attack the legs, and sambo allows that. So when you compare Sambo to old school judo, the only difference is pretty much leg locks. And, and one day my coach was saying, 
some was pretty much judo flag locks. He made a joke. And then I was like, well, I should be able to fairly pick it up. Plus, I trained with a, a really good sambo guy when I was a kid. Um, I didn't go in in depth, but I picked up techniques. So I was somewhat familiar with it. Um, the tournament was fairly close by. And I was like, let me, let me go do it. And uh, But I, I showed up that there that day. And sp it's supposed to be the sambo nationals. And I'm there, and and they actually declared it to be U.S. Open because they had like almost maybe a hundred athletes that flew in that did not know English, and a lot of them are Eastern European, and within that's they're really good at it. So I was I was getting quite nervous well, when I was warming up because a lot of the guys were really good. Some did it a full time. There was a in my weight class. They announced that there was a one rep uh, Olympian. Uh, some was not an Olympic sport, so I assume it's like a wrestler or a judo judo guy but they also said there was one uh world champion uh in, in my weight class when i was warming up and i was like okay it's, it's gonna be a long day but so if you if you were to uh well what would be more i guess what would be more applicable in like in an actual street fight would it be sambo or judo well or would it be competitive sambo like we well, were mentioning if doing, before if you're if you're doing combat sambo that would be awesome because you, you know how to strike you know how to kick I think, yeah. well, I think, um, actually years ago, I told my buddy, uh, my buddy Leo, and I totally forgot I told him this, but I told him, it's like, man, I would really love to see a, like a Dagestani grappler, uh, compete in UFC uh, because being in the grappling world and being close to that region, I know those guys are super, super tough. They've been just really, really tough. Um, especially like Cheshtian and, but from that Dagestani region, a lot of guys are really tough. Years later, he called me and he was like, man, there's, you know, you're right. There's this guy, Khabib. He's like, he's destroying people. Um, and, then, and then he's like, there's another guy. He's like suplexing everybody. And now there's a few guys, Makaev, uh, 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 Kamsat, Chimaev. They're just going through people. And honestly, I think in the 90s, Russia was even like, I think MMA, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu came up a really long way the last 20 years in the U.S. But um, in the 90s, Russia was really ahead uh i think uh in in sambo judo compare rest of the world well they were always going head to head with japan but they were really really good but it's to me i'm i'm still surprised like now they're still really great you know it's still seeing some of these guys just go through uh, athletes in ufc they're just really unstoppable but yeah i was telling my buddy you know these guys are great grapplers they do combat sambo so don't they know how to strike a little bit i think they'll do really good and he was calling me, telling me how I uh, I nailed it. I didn't I didn't actually remember it till later. I I just think that like the Russians are just bred different, you know, and 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 a lot of that area, you know. Um, I mean, look at look at the Olympic weightlifters, you know, like uh, one of my favorites, Dmitry Klokhlov. You know, that guy, he's just he's just built different, and you know, they they start training at like what 12, 11, 10 years old. Who knows? And, and so it becomes like, it, it goes back to like developing a skill, really, like really refining just one thing, like being good at one thing. And, and, you know, we in the U S we have the capability and the ability, um, to be able to really experiment with a, a myriad of things. But the thing that I, you know, and yourself included, you know, like I'm, I'm an immigrant. I'm, I'm not from here. I was born here, but I, you know, I was raised in, in Beirut and uh, Lebanon. And even that mentality, you know, coming here to the United States culturally and, you know, with my family, 
it was always like just work, work and figure something out and, and get good at it. And there's no time to be lazy. There's no time to be this, be that. Obviously, you know, you got to be, you got to have a childhood to some extent. It's not like we were, um, you know, in, in the middle of a war zone, you know, like my parents were. Um, however, having that experience of tenacity and grit to be able to, uh, to, to be able to beat through um, competition in the sense that I may not be the smartest, I may not be the most talented, but I will outwork you. Period. And and it's that it's that discipline mentality. And we've just become so soft as a society. We've become more Epicurean, less Stoic. And Stoicism, I think people tend to misunderstand and thinking that well, you just have to be tough. Tough doesn't mean you're going to go have big arms and muscles. Tough is mentally tough. Like what can you withstand if you're going to get knocked down? Are you going to get back up again? You know, if somebody says X, Y, and Z about you, are you going to let that defeat you and you're going to start defeating yourself or are you going to figure out a solution no matter what? Like 2020 was an ex- ex- like a great representation of that. It allowed a lot of people to either fall over and accept money from the government or pivot and figure out a solution. It, you, there, was a, there was a number, there was a statistic that was, I, and I don't want to uh, 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 mislead anybody here, but it was a relatively high number, I think in the like 30, 40, 50% where people started quitting their jobs or people that quit their jobs never went back to their jobs because they figured out side hustles. And those side hustles became business ventures. Um, and those businesses started growing exponentially in 2021. And so it, it, it's funny, like when you're forced, when, you're back up, is you're, when your back is up against a wall and you have zero options, you have to put food on the table, you have to put a roof over your family's heads, um, what are you going to do? Are you just going to buckle down? You're going to figure something out. We live in the world where technology is out of your fingertips. You could literally make money out of nothing, thin air, yeah. and you have that possibility to do so. And I think that's, you know, that's just, this is something to think about. And 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 I love that. But going back to um, what we were talking about with, with, with Sambo Martial Arts, is that what led you to developing this phenomenal product, which I, dude, I'm so sorry. I still have to, and I still have to get it. Um, I used to be really, really adamant about my grip training. I had a, a, a Jeet Kune Do and a Muay Thai background back in when I was younger. And grip training was like all that I did. I didn't train really my other body other than a, a calisthenics. And, and now it's like the reverse. I, <laughs> the things that are important like grip strength, ankle strength, mobility, things like that, I don't do. Um, but tell me what led you to developing this? Was it just the fact that you were in that world and in that environment and you found a need and you just fulfilled it? So... When I started training in Turkey, um, especially training with the Russians, um, uh, Eastern Europeans, and my that coach that did some, his name was Dennis. Um, one of the things I realized how important grip uh, grip uh, is, especially for judo at that time. They change the rules over the years, but at that time, uh, you could fully grip fight, and there's very little limitations in judo, and um, and. I realized. I mean, my grip fight. Sorry to interrupt you, but just for the audience. So yeah, what do you mean, grip fighting? I'll start with judo. For the audience doesn't you know know judo, it's a it's pretty much like wrestling. You're wearing a jacket. Uh, it's a Japanese uh, grappling sport. Um, and it involves throws, mainly standing, but on the ground you can do chokes and arm locks. Uh, but probably like eighty percent, ninety percent is standing, and that changed over the years uh, depending on how the rules evolved, and how the how the sport really evolved too with that um so what you know uh, you're fighting with the jacket and you're you're holding the jacket to throw someone so uh in a situation like that the weakest link can be 
where you're gripping. If, you, if you're not gripping the jacket strong, you can't pull. And that can apply to a lot of different sports with a lot of different things, which I can give, give examples later. But for judo, uh, that, you know, it, it was really important to have a strong grip. If the rest of your body is really strong and your hands are not strong, it's going to really limit uh, f- for you to do a judo throw. The second thing is setups. Um, you know, there's different ways to set up for throws, but the most important thing was, uh, you know, at least for me and, and I think for the game was at that time, being able to grip fight, to be able to deflect your opponent's hands, hold it down and get the grip you want, make sure he doesn't get the grip he wants to throw you. Uh, and, and just, and you know, if you get the grip you want, you can control the angles you have on your opponent. You can control the type of throws you want. And if you can prevent your opponent from gripping you, that's he's not going to be able to throw you. So I, I came to a breakthrough when I was a low-level uh, belt. Uh, I, I don't know when exactly, but through that journey, I realized if I don't let my opponent uh, grip me, I don't care how strong he is. I don't care how good his conditioning is. I don't care if he has the best um, technique in the world, uh, such as like uh, Uchimata, which is like a classic judo throw, and there's some Japanese players that are phenomenal with it. But if I can make sure he doesn't get the grip he wants, it's very unlikely he's going to be able to throw me. And and of course, there's some, you know, there was a recent uh, athlete in the Olympics, he can hit Uchimata from any grip. like. Uh, but, um, but most athletes are not going to be able to. And when I realized that, I just started focusing on grip, and it really... It was like a hack in the game. It really it helped me beat athletes better than me technique-wise, strength-wise. Um, when I was 13, 14, my coach would have me train with like the 18 and above team. And I just had to find ways to, you know, I was getting my butt kicked over and over, but I just had to find ways. Like, what do I do to catch up with these guys? And and that's where my interest started in grip. Um, when I came to U.S., uh, I, I studied... Uh, uh, I went to Catholic University. I studied uh, biomedical engineering. Uh, and uh, under biomedical engineering, I focused on biomechanics. I, I f- focused on bioinstrumentation. I focused on biooptics, which all are s- quite different. But I, I like taking biomechanics classes because I, I love martial arts. I, I, I loved how the human body functions. And it was it was fairly easy for me to understand. And I, and I, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and then I did my master's, and in my master's, I focused on biooptics. I finished my ma- master's, and I got back into competing again. I, I couldn't compete as much when I was in school. Uh, but once I started competing again, I had a really bad um, elbow injury, a tennis elbow. Um, I was actually going against an Eastern European athlete. His last name was Klokov, uh, similar to uh, Dimitri Klokov you mentioned. Um, I'll never forget that name uh, because he he had me on an arm bar and I heard something snap and my elbow has never been the same. After that, I started going back, you know, looking at, you know, what I learned from biomechanics, going to physical therapy. And um, I started thinking, what could I do for uh, uh, recovery and rehab? And that's how the the Grupito Sand training uh, came together. That's how that's how all of it started. So you you started it with the sand, but now your application can be literally on anything. Like you could put it on a, you could put it on the end of a barbell, and you could do you know reverse wrist curls and wrist curls, and then you could also I've seen videos where they've attached it to like implements to do like pinch grip strength. 
-hmm. So for time, yeah, right, which I think is phenomenal. One thing that you you mentioned after you broke or your uh, you got your elbow messed up uh, during the fight um, that you started focusing on grip strength. It's funny because the moment that I started having elbow tendonitis, I will go back to strengthening uh, wrist flexors in my forearms. And the moment that I start strengthening my forearms and my, my hands and my fingers, the elbow pain starts to go away. It's funny how that, that tends to work out that, like that. I wanted to ask, for someone that's just recreation, recreationally training um, that isn't maybe in martial arts and they just want to have like preventative like osteoporosis or carpal tunnel syndrome or anything like that, how how would you like what would you put this in? Like let's say they exercise, you know, three or four days a week, so just a general, you know, physical fitness. Where would you throw this in? Would you throw it in on a day where you are training or just like as an accessory a different day whenever you've got time and for how long? Well, I I see a lot of elbow injuries with a lot of folks and I think it's because um anyone if you're if you're lifting and you're doing sports, you know, you're you're constantly your elbows are getting a lot of use from it gripping. Um and now you see people doing heavy deadlifts, farmer carries. Um, and if they're doing a sport like, you know, jujitsu grappling or, or, or rock climbing or, you know, really uh a lot of sports and when you combine it, it can put a lot of a lot of stress on on a joint and I and a lot of people uh, are getting from from what I see, they get a lot of tennis elbow or golfer's elbow type of issues. Um really the best thing I would think say is, you know, you want to probably uh, take measures before uh, getting injured, and that will be a good warm up. And I think uh, the Grappito Sand application is low impact, uh, and it's mainly concentric, uh, similar to sleds. Um, okay. And because of that, I I think uh, it's it's a good if you're if you're doing a if you for example if you're going to do a heavy deadlift day. Or you know heavy farmer carries and things like that, um, or really anything you're you know even heavy bicep curls or any tricep work bench work, um, I would use it as a tool to warm up the joints, and after the workout I, I would use it as a finisher and um, just to uh, pump blood into the tissue, uh, kind of like a drop set. So just to get you know blood into the tissue and get the waste uh, pump it out. Um, it, towards then I would recommend that. And um, for athletes that are doing sports uh, as finishers, it, since it is low impact, um, and you want to, if you want to push your athlete, it's a it's a good medium to be able to push an athlete with less risk of in injury, if that makes sense. Similar to like using like an air dyne pushing athletes or hill sprints, if you're uphill because you can't go full uh, uh, speed. Well, yeah, you can because of the gravity and the angle, but you can really push your lungs and uh, and really you can get your heart rate up. So, and plus the angle on hill sprints, for example, it's uh, it, it's a little bit easier on on the knees and the joints. So, it, I, it's it's a tool for finishers where, or even sleds. You can just push athletes with less risk of injury. And for that conditioning, uh, for those finishers, um, I it can be a good tool as well. And we have a lot of athletes using it for that. Awesome, I appreciate that. Thank you for that. I think it's uh, sure it's. One of the things that, you know, people tend to overlook, you know, I come from a world where like, yeah, uh, I, I started out in like bodybuilding, which transferred to powerlifting and that transferred to after, after the mixed martial arts and that transferred to like strongman type style of training. And now it's like a, a hybrid of everything. You know, I do accessories. The thing that's funny, I used to love training arms. 
now I it's my least favorite thing to do. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's really it's really funny. I I do like doing tricep movements, but but not like cable type stuff. I like to 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 you know under load. So like uh, uh, like a JM press or a close grip bench press, or you know I'll do like um, moderate weight, high repetition, a little bit more narrow, like uh, overhead standing presses, things like that. Um, I I just I don't know. I don't get like a rush from it in, in a sense. But as I'm getting older. And, um, like things are starting to hurt more and more. I, I do enjoy it. Like I'll, I'll actually warm up with like a cable tricep just to shove blood in there and get everything working and not creaking. Um, I did want to switch gears just a little bit because this was the thing that got you and I uh, conversing in the first place. Um, there was a, I posted something, I think this was in June or May. I can't remember. It was during the summer and it was a quote. And I'm going to read the quote. Yeah, I think I pulled it up. Should any man tell you that the mountain had changed its place, you are at liberty to doubt it if you think fit. But if anyone tells you that the man has changed his character, do not believe it. And this was a quote from uh, Muhammad the Conqueror, or in Arabic, it's Muhammad. Um, and uh, and he was he was the man responsible for um, really the demise of the last Roman emperor, and he was the guy that that. Um, that, that conquered Constantinople in 1453, which triggered a conversation between you and I, and we went on this deep dive conversation, which blew my mind because I had just watched the documentary on Netflix because I, I love documentaries. I love history, um, especially like uh, war history. I find, I find there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that you can learn because people tend to think war and it's just, no, no, it's not just war. It's, it's tactic. It's, it's mentality. It's toughness. It's grit. It's discipline. It's seeing things through. Like you have to read between the lines. So uh, I, I wanted you to discuss a little bit about why that struck you so much, and what your take on, um, I, I, I guess his his uh, his reign and what he really did, and why it was so impactful to you and, and to the world. Well, I, I saw that, and uh, Mehmet the Second. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, he's a someone that I. I uh, he's an idol. I, I, I'm absolutely obsessed with what he's done. Um, you know, a lot of, there's been many times and many folks that try to conquer Istanbul. It, it was almost deemed impossible. And he was able to do that at a very young age. Uh, I think it was, it was like 18, 19 years old. Um, and in the Ottoman history, he's the number one strategist. Um, the, uh, a lot of historians will see him as the number one. They don't think there's anyone really better uh, than uh, um, him. Uh, arguably, Atatürk, which is actually towards the end of the Ottoman Empire, he was the person that uh, led the independence war of Turkey. He's a really good strategist, too. He was an absolute genius. But um, really, uh, yeah, they're both are my favorite. Uh, he's he's a incredibly smart guy. Um, but, you know, for me... What I really like about Mehmet II is a, a, another quote he has, and a strategy he used to uh, during the um, during the siege, um, and and it's something my dad from a young age would always teach me, um, and it, my dad would always tell me to you know be brave enough to think different, even if it sounds crazy, um, you know, always be willing to think why not, you know why not, you know, give it a try, you know, you know, even if it's crazy, 
you, you never know what's going to happen. What's the worst going to happen? And he would always tell me that. And, um, and over the years, I saw a quote, and I think I sent it to you from Robin uh, Williams. Um, it said something along, um, we all have a, 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 a piece of madness and you must not uh, lose it. And, and when I saw that, it resonated with what my dad always used to teach me. And, um, and it's something that helped me with a lot of things. But one thing uh, Mehmet, uh, in one of his quotes uh, he has is, um, he basically says, if they're smart enough to put a chain to stop our ships, uh, we are mad enough to run our ships on land. And to me, I absolutely just really love that. And in and, and the documentary, they cover that. Uh, Mehmet, that one strategy was the key thing for them to, to take on Istanbul. Uh, because uh, the Byzantine Empire, they, they had a, they had a, um, <clears throat> excuse me, they had chains that would block the ships of the Ottoman Empire. But with those chains, they were able to lower it and get help from, uh, from the outside ships that supported them. That would bring soldiers, food, and everything. And uh, and that always has been a problem in the past for any uh, king or leader that wanted to take Istanbul. Um, but what uh, Mehmet II did was he found, they found a way to be able to run their ships on land. They cut big tree trunks and put grease on them. And one night they put the ships on it and it was, a, I think it's a couple miles. And they just pretty much ran their ships on land. And next morning the Byzantine Empire wakes up and they have all these Ottoman ships. And that was like the, probably one of the most important things uh, that changed the outcome of the war. And me too, just like you, I, I really love studying not just the Ottoman Empire, all great empires and leaders. There's so much to learn from a lot of them. And it's more than just war. It's grit. Like you said, it's strategy, it's thinking, it's leadership. Um, you know, And if having a decision, in, and if it's bold, to be able to stand behind it and to execute it, really. Because just because you have a great idea doesn't mean you're going to be able to execute it. So, you know, knowing how that played out and knowing his quote and knowing Turkish culture, to me, that meant a lot because I think uh, Turkish culture, um, you know, there's a book, one of my favorite books, it's called Those Crazy Turks. It's about the independence uh, war of Turkey and how they fought seven countries. And to me, that was really inspiring because uh, at that time, I think Time Magazine wrote about it. They said, uh, what a foolish dream. The old man is going to fight seven young thugs. And the old man was uh, re referred to Turkey because, uh, well, mm -hmm. at that time, Ottoman Empire, yeah. because they're old, they're falling apart. And, but, you know, reading that book, the stories just absolutely inspire me. And it's absolutely mad, absolutely crazy, some of the stories I read. And because of that, it, it has a lot of meaning uh, to me. But, you know, when and then I, if you look back, like the Wright brothers, when they're coming up with the airplane, it's a crazy idea. They're like mad. They're like, "You're gonna fly at that time." It is, or or if you listen to Elon Musk, like when he first started talking about colonizing, you know, uh, and visit, you know, the tours he wants for um, outer space and all that, it is, you know, mad. But that's the mentality you really need to have if you want to make a difference, if you want to make breakthroughs, and 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 those are the ones that really uh, succeed. And that's that's something my dad taught me taught me from a young age, and 
and just having to be willing to try it. Yeah, it's, it reminds me, it's like the, the, and I agree with you so much because it's those that think that they're crazy enough that they can change the world are the ones that generally do. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't necessarily have to be a mover and shaker of like this monumentous, right, uh, 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 ordeal, but to the extent of like, why second guess yourself? Why, why, why think that you cannot achieve the thing that you can't achieve? Like what's, Who's stopping you from doing so? Like if, if you want to read 100 books in a month, do it. Nobody's going to tell you not to. The only person that's going to stand in between you and your goal is yourself. That's it. Period. Done. End of sentence. Um, I, I did want to say, uh, just going back on like the historical thing, one of my favorite books um, was uh, uh, 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. Now, there's a stigma behind this book because it's like, oh, you're trying to learn how to manipulate and learn how to do this. It's not that. It's historical findings by great leaders um, and and connectors and, and builders and scientists that he takes the most stringent, most like monumentous uh, uh, lesson and places it in like this very easy to understand way. And then and then you also get to learn a little bit of historical figures. And what's cool about the 48 Laws of Power is that anything that really sticks with you, you can then go and research that, that, you know, that uh, historical figure and then learn more about them. And that's how you get introduced to all these different things.